So we're going to continue with Great Jewish Faith. And on page 94 and 95 of the spread, we have a remarkable idea from the Vilna Gain. The Vilna Gain needs no introduction, but we'll give him one anyway. He was born in 1720, and he died in 1797. I was just speaking to somebody the other day about comparative history. I don't know if that's what it's called. Um, parallel history. Um, what that is is that sometimes we know what's going on as Jews in the terror world, and we might know also what went on in the world world, like in American history, world history. If Everyone's taken in high school American history and world history, right? Global history. Um, and... Uh, in college, some people are history majors, but what's very interesting is when you're able to like know like what was going on in the Jewish world and the Gaish world simultaneously. So it's interesting that when the American American Revolution was taking place in the 1770s, 1776 is when I guess the Declaration of Independence was on, but those years leading up to 1776 was the Boston Tea Party and all of the uh, all this back and forth between America and England until uh, until the revolution until we declared our independence, all of this took place when the Vilna Gain was alive. Uh, you know he was uh, he was he died in 1797. So this was like twenty. He was a man of uh, uh, he was born in seventeen twenty. So what was he fifty in his fifties? Yeah, he was in his 50s when the American Revolution was taking place. It was just an interesting you know, thing to think about. Like, we sometimes think like it's two planets, like, you know, where the, the Gedalim lived and then what, where George Washington lived. But they lived sort of at the same time. I'm sure the Vilna Gain probably knew what was going on a little bit in America. And uh, it's just, there's a lot of these things that you could just sort of, it would be interesting, I guess, to make a book of pairing up the, the major events of world history and the major events of uh, what was going on in, in the Jewish history. And a lot of us, unfortunately, know American history and world history a lot better than we know Jewish history, even though it's our, it's our history, but we sometimes don't know uh, as much as we should about it, unfortunately. When you think of the Vilna Gain, what I think of, at least, is Tyra. The Vilna Gain was pure Torah. Whatever we know about the Vilna Gain, he, all he did all day was learn. There were other G'dayim that were big Rashi Shivas, and they were big Rabbanim, and they the Jewish leaders, and they were... Uh, the Vilna Gain basically sat in a room off of a base madrash, day and night, 24-7, and just basically sat and learned. And he was the most brilliant mind that the Jewish people have had in, in hundreds of years. He was absolutely brilliant. And he didn't really write too many sermons. We have many sermons from him, but a lot of it was transcribed terror from his Talmidim. His Talmidim wrote from him. He, he wasn't able to write because his mind was going at warps, warp speed. He couldn't, you know, in order to write something down, in order to write a, a thought down, you have to like think slowly and let the, let the idea sort of like drain into your hand and, and come out in the pen his mind was like so brilliant that he couldn't, he couldn't really write things down. 
He may have written some of the things by himself, but a lot of it was transcribed by Talmidim. And if you look in one of his writings, he writes that, and this is very important for us to know as we're heading towards Shavuos, we're heading towards Matan Torah, he says that the primary purpose for the giving of the Torah why is it, what's the primary purpose of Hashem giving us the Torah? So the Vilna Gaon would probably finish off that sentence as, uh, I guess we could all, I could go around the room and ask her, what do you think the main reason for the Torah being given was? Oh, oh, let's do it. To what? To lead a good life. Lead a good life, right? It's, it's like a guidepost, like a, it'll, it'll lead us down the right path in life. To learn Torah, right? To be able to have the mitzvah of Limit at and uh, that's the purpose of everything. To enter into a relationship with God. To have a good relationship with Hashem. To show that we're His chosen people. A chosen people. Okay. Well, he sort of stole the Gras also, because the Gra sort of says this. He says, the primary purpose for the giving of the Torah, and by the way, all your answers are right. There's no wrong answers, because the Torah is really everything. But it's interesting to see what the Vilna Gain said it was. I would have, you know, I think he would have, I, thought, I would have thought he would say what Ari said, that, you know, it was just to sit and learn. That's the point. There's no other purpose of the giving of the Torah, but to give us something to sit and learn. But he says is that, is so that we should, we place our trust in Hashem for the basis of everything is bitachin. So the main reason that Hashem gave us the Torah is for the mitzvah of bitachin. Now, what does giving the Torah have to do with bitachin? How do, what is the two, how does that? You get to know the person. You get to know the person. You get to know God better. God is through the Torah, the instruction manual, and about him, how he functions. So you get, you get to know the person better. So you can trust him better. You have a better relationship with him. Okay. So I'll tell you, I like that pshat. I might even like it better than the pshat I'm going to tell you. But Rav Chaim Friedlander, who was the mashkiach in Panovich, he wrote a saver called Sifse Chaim. So he explains this statement to mean, he's explaining the Vilna Gaim, that the purpose of all our service to Hashem is to perfect our bitachan in Him. The Torah was given to us in the merit of our bitachan, having accepted it without asking any questions. Nasev When we accepted the Torah, that was really, that was a great, Testament to our bitachin Hashem. We don't know what it was, what, you know, what, what was. If, let's say I go over to you and I give you a whole contract, just do me a favor, just sign your name on the bottom line. I'll say, Rebbe, uh, I would love to. I just, I think I should read it for. No, trust in me, just sign. No, I'm not signing. You know, the more I, I insist to you, say, you don't know what you're giving. You might be giving your life away. You might be selling off all your, the rights to your firstborn. Who knows what you're, what you're, what you're signing to me. But that's exactly what Klai Yisrael did with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They said, Nasa Nishma. We will do, and then we will hear. I don't, I don't, I'll sign without even looking at it. I don't know what's in the Torah. The Imamish had no idea what they were up against. They, maybe the Torah was going to ask them to do impossible things. They didn't know. But they trusted in Hashem. So we got the Torah, says Reb Chaim Friedlander, because of, we had his chus, that we had bitachim. We didn't ask any questions. However, only through studying and obeying the Torah... Can we perfect our bitachin and pass it on to future generations? Because whatever we're doing is really, the mitzvahs that we're doing themselves 
Is there a greater act to be tachen than, than that? Let me ask you a question. We give tzedakah, right? Tzedakah is, you know, we give, we're expected to give 10% or 20% of our money to tzedakah. It's a lot of money. It's a big chunk of change, right? And, and when a person goes and he doesn't maybe have that, so, that much money himself to begin with, and now he's writing out checks to this organization and that organization and this tzedakah and that tzedakah, this yeshiva, that yeshiva, is that a, not a huge act to be tachin? Like, I don't know. Like, it's, what are you doing? When you're, when you're writing out a big check and you're being courageous to give away that money, that money I could use to pay my mortgage, that money I could use to take my wife out for dinner tonight, and instead I'm writing it to some random ani that comes, why? Because the Torah says to do so. Is that a huge act to be tachin or what? That's, that's really, what about when people decide that they want to stay and learn? They want to, instead of going to work right away, they want to stay and learn uh, for a year, for a two, for a hundred years. Some people, you go to Lakewood, there are guys that are much older than me, kaviyachal, that are, that are sitting and, and learning day and night forever. Right? That's not an act to be tachin for them, for their wives who have to like slave away and, and go out to work every day. For, like, you need to believe in God to do that. And there's many myths. Every day we wake up early in the morning to go daven and to learn and put on tefillin and, and buy matzah on pesos for $30 a pound and, and buy lulav and esrik for... Uh, every mitzvah that we do is really showing we believe in you, God, if you think about it, right? That's really the whole mitzvah, the whole Torah is really about trusting in Hashem. If Hashem was sitting here right now and telling us we're doing the right thing, that would be great, but He's not. So it's really all based on trust, and we believe in Eilam Haba, that when we die, we're going to get schar for all of this. All of this is, is tremendous. It's tremendous bitachin. It's really a, it's an amazing thing that the Jewish people have. The bitachin is very real. We're not like hedging ourselves. We're really throwing ourselves in and we believe. So the Vilna Gain of all people, who is really the, you know, the, the embodiment of Taira, he's one person that, would, that has the, the credentials to tell us what the purpose of Taira is. And he is telling us that it's so that we place our trust in Hashem. For the basis of everything is Bitachin. Hashem wanted us to really improve our bitachin, so he gave us the Torah. And the Torah, our acceptance of the Torah with Nasa Nishma was demonstrating our bitachin in him and the doing of every mitzvah in the Torah, one way or another, no matter the cost, no matter the effort, no matter the, uh, the sacrifice, that all basically constantly ex- shows the world, it shows Hashem, shows ourselves that we trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's a, a very uh, important thing as we're heading towards Shavuos to think about. Bitachin is a major cornerstone of, of our life, and it's the per- very purpose, according to the only guy that the Torah was given. Okay, let's see another piece. Okay. Well, this is a great one. This is from the Arizal. The Arizal lived from 1534 to 1572. And he, was, he lived in Svas. He was the, the master of And we speak about Mekobolim, Kabbalists. The greatest of all the, the Kabbalists you know, of the last 500 years is the Arizal. And the Arizal, this is on page 174, 175 in the book, 
he once explained to his main Talmud. Anyone know who the Arizal's main Talmud was? No. That's Reb Chaim Vital. Excellent. Reb Chaim Vital, he explained to him as follows, that one's spiritual stature is not based solely on deeds, but other considerations such as the time and generation one lives in are factored in as well. Meaning, a lot of times we wonder, like, we're going to bring Mashiach. Really? Our generation is going to bring Mashiach, the generation of the iPhone, of the Wii, and of the, uh, of, of the Xbox. We're, we're the ones that are going to bring, the, bring Mashiach. Oh, I, the Vilna Gain didn't bring Mashiach, or Bekiv Eger didn't bring Mashiach, the Ram didn't bring the, the Chidad, and the Arizal. The, these people, they, they didn't, but we're going to be the ones, you know, we're going we're gonna to knock the ball out of the park, hit a grand slam, and get, let Mashiach come. What? Like, how is that going to happen? Like, look at us. We're, we're, we're going to bring Mashiach? If he didn't come during the times of the Tanaim and Amairam and the Rambam and, the, and Rashi and the Ritva and the Rashba, and, and, so he's going to come now? What's the pshat? How do we understand that? So the Arizal brings something amazing. He says that it's hard for us to imagine but he says, a single mitzvah performed in our decadent, immoral times is equal to many big mitzvahs done in previous generations when the resistance of the Eight Sahara was less fierce. So that means that in our generation, we are the ones that could bring Mashiach. You know why? How could we? Look at, we have, we have internet in our pocket. We have, a, we have a, the whole world in our, in our hands. We have, you know, we have a laptop that we could look at anything in the world. How are we going to bring Mashiach? The answer is because we have a laptop that is, has everything in the world. That's how we're going to bring Mashiach. Because if somebody in this generation, 2023, sitting in this room in Lander College for Men in Queens, New York, is able to be sitting and talking and learning about Psachim and about great Jewish faith, and about uh, Musser and all the other things that we're learning, in spite of everything else going on in the world, in spite of the fact that we live in times that are so decadent and so immoral, and there's so much, you know, it would be so easy for us to not be here. We'd have every excuse in the world to do a million other things. Maybe back in the, in the Shtetloch in Europe, those hamlets in Europe, they didn't have many opportunities. What were they? they had a cow and they, they milked it and then they had a shul and they davened, they learned, they had a feder. What did they do? They didn't have any opportunities. They wouldn't be able to like join the, 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 the population at large. They weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to be doctors and lawyers and that's why they were all money lenders because that's the one thing that they were generally, able, it didn't take any experience, any profession and they, they got into that business and they were allowed and they were able to do that. But but today, everything is, is, is open. We have an open society. We're able to get into any field that we want, engage in any business that we want, any profession that we want. We have on our phones, we have, we have the ability to see anything we want, talk to anybody that we want, chat with anybody that we want, email anyone. And yet, we are able to, be, to find a little purity in our life and and time to learn, and interest in learning, and to dab in every day, putting on a tefillin. We think it's like, wow, I'm bum, I'm such a bum, like, you know, God hates me. No, 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 God is like in awe of us, that we're able, at our stage in the Gullahs, we're almost at the end, Mashiach is about to come. But this is the time that 
whatever little thing we do, any little mitzvah that we're able to accomplish, don't look at it as nothing. Don't, ah, I could have been so much better. I could have done. Maybe so, and you'll work on that. But the fact that you're able to learn and daven and do good things and be a good person, even in this society, is amazing. So the Arizal told his Talmud that a single mitzvah, that's why I use this as a, as a visual, you know, it's, it's like a single mitzvah is able to like equal or maybe even be more than a lot of mitzvahs that the Rishayim did. The Rama may have done a thousand mitzvahs and maybe that doesn't stack up to one mitzvah that we do today. Maybe one, one word of Torah that we're learning now is more chashav than who knows how many mitzvahs that the Rishayim did, the Tanaim did, the Amiram did because it's so hard. It's, it's, we have a lot of resistance in our life. There's so much, the Yitzhar is so powerful and so omnipresent that it's a, it's a, a chiddish naira, it's, a, it's an amazing chiddish that we're actually here learning Tyra. And so Mashiach, if he's going to come, we're going to be the ones to bring him because everything that we do is super, super powerful. It weighs much more, it's much heavier weighted than the mitzvahs that Kiveger did and the Rambam did and the, and the Vilna Gain did. They would look at us in awe. If they would, like, I think we, we always have it messed up in our life. We're always like so inclined to, oh gosh, you know, I, I have the internet and I have this and I'm, I'm like, I, I looked at something I shouldn't have. I feel really guilty. I'm a bum. I'm not a, I'm not a Ben Taira. We don't know. I'm not giving us a, a, a tour. Obviously, we have to be strong. But if we would know, we're looking at the glass as being half empty instead of half full. Like, look at what we are doing in our life. Look at the fact that we're Shemr Shabbos. We daven. We're from, we, I'm sure we all have a lot of relatives and a lot of friends from high school and whatever. They're partying it up in colleges all across the world and they're doing whatever they want and they're not from being mechalsha. If we're able to do what we're doing and we're, and we're happy doing and we do it besimcha and we're dedicated, we're devoted, what we're doing, we have no idea of the schar that we have for the smallest mitzvah. So the, a single mitzvah, he says, performed in our decadent, immoral times is equal to many big mitzvahs done in previous generations when the resistance of the Sahara was less fierce. It's a very, very th- important thing to always remember. Don't ever discount what you're doing. Don't ever think that, uh, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not good, I'm not, you know, because I did this wrong, I did that wrong. Hashem knows what's going on. He knows about an iPhone, believe it or not. He knows what the internet is. He knows he knows. He, he helped develop it, right? He gave us the. He gave our generation the the ability to develop these things. He made silicon. You know, without silicon, I don't think there would be uh, there would be right. This technology only exists because, if I'm not mistaken, because of like certain things that were natural resources in in the world. He created them. He could have not created them. We would be in the dark ages still. He created. He did it for a purpose. What the purpose is, I don't know. But at the end of the day, he knows that we have a tremendous amount of resistance to doing mitzvahs. The Yitzhara has never been stronger. So the fact that we're here doing good, give yourself a big pat on the back and don't, don't like discount it, don't like poo-poo it. Okay, let's see one more piece. I love this. This is a beautiful, beautiful piece. Yes. I didn't, say, I didn't say that they would sin in our generation. 
what I what I said or what I intended to say was that if they would see us in our generation and what we're accomplishing in spite of what's going on, they would be in awe of us. So why would I would understand that? Let's say one mitzvah that I do now is equal to let's say ten mitzvot of a regular guy back then. But I wouldn't maybe it's hard for me to understand how it would equal ten mitzvot of the Ramban. Let's say that's like because because that's what that that that's that's you know that that's. No, they, this is not. This is not taking away from the Rishayim and Rav Kivega and the Gra. This is they were Gedayle Eilam Mamish, okay? But, but in a sense, like we, what we're accomplishing because of the times that we're living in, and we're it's an uphill battle. Then it was a lot easier. Not to take anything away from them, it's more about us than about them. We're not looking to, in any way, you know, diminish them and say, ah, you know, how, if I would live then, I would be the Ram also. No, the Ram was the Ram because the Ram was the Ram. The Ram was one in a, gen- in, in a world history figure, and, and he has his Ilam Haba, you know, ensconced in eternity. There's no question about that. Now, we're, we're looking at ourselves now, our generation, like, where do we fit in? How do we fit into Jewish history? And the way the Arizal, and the Arizal, remember, he didn't write this in this time. He wrote it, he wrote it in, in, in the 1500s in Tzfas, which is also pretty pure place, Tzfas, and 1500s were way before the Industrial Revolution technology. And he, then already he was able to see that his generation was lower compared to the generations previous, you know, the Ramam. And, but Allah has come, imagine if you would see what's going on today. And, and what technology has wrought and like what we could do with our, with our you know, w- with technology, how much the potential for falling is and, and we're struggling, but we're trying and we're succeeding very often. So that is, uh, you know, you have to mark, give us an A for effort. You know, we might not always be perfect, but like in terms of how much effort we're investing in and, and we're struggling, that's what Hashem loves. Hashem loves the struggle. We don't always have to succeed. But we're struggling, and that's, it's against, no one thought we could do this. Whatever we're doing today, nobody thought that this would be possible. When the Jews first came to America, many of the Jews went off the dark. This is America, can't keep tire mitzvahs in America. We spoke about in the morning. What? We spoke about in the morning. The longer you stay in America, like the worse, like less religious you're. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, conservative. They thought conservative Judaism was going to take over America. Orthodoxy was for Europe, and America was like perfect for so you could change, you could drive on Shabbos. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, you know. And you had, you know, and and nobody thought that Orthodoxy would succeed. These black hatters. That's for Europe. Learning Torah, you know, like just. Just, you know, drive a car on Shabbos, do your thing, go get, make a lot of money, and, uh, you know, and, and whatever you do, you just, you know, you, you sit by the Pesach, you eat matzahs once a year, or you go to Shulosh on Yom Kippur, you're good. Or we, you know, God will be happy with us. Nobody thought that the, what, what happened in this country, it's a dream. We, we're used to it because we grew up in it. So we think that, of course, you have, you have Yeshiva Katanis and, and high school, Jewish high schools, and then you go to Israel for a couple of years, and then you come back to America, you go to Lander College for men, everything is perfect. It's like Lakewood, thousands of, of course, I was, you know, didn't that happen? Like, 
no one believed that this was possible. It was because a few Gedali Yisrael came and they said, no, 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 we're not going to surrender. We're going to fight and we're going to build and we're going to... So it happened and Hashem gave them Siat Deshmaya, but what we're doing is nothing less than absolute... It's, it's miraculous what we have. We're, again, sometimes we're used to something. When you're living through a miracle, you don't necessarily realize that it's a miracle. But it's a miracle. We're li- we are a miracle. That, that should be a song. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, let's do one more piece. A beautiful piece. This is from a Mordechai Gifter. Mordechai Gifter was the Tal's Rosh Hashiva. And he lived from 1915 to 2001. I was at his Leviah. Um, so, in Zmira Shabbos it says... Um, it says, it describes Shabbos as being fenced in by roses. Fenced in by roses. Um, it says, I think, Kasheshanim uh, Suga. That's part of the Zmiris, right? By Hashem Shabbos of Abbas. I think it's. Yeah, anyway, in one of the Zmiris it says, Kasheshanim Suga which means that Shabbos is hedged in by roses. There's like a, a, a fence of roses surrounding Shabbos. What does that mean? What does it mean? So, Rav Gifter says like this, a hedge of roses is a deterrent only to one whose love of roses would not permit him to trample on their beauty. A Jew will not violate Shabbos because of the sheer love he has for it. What does that mean? This is the visual, by the way. This is on page 206 and 207. Nice hedge of roses. So, and this is of Gifter, of course. Am I, allowed, am I able to smoke a cigarette on Shabbos? Am I physically able to? You know, there's always a famous thing. If somebody would give you a million dollars to take a puff of a cigarette on Shabbos, I, I think most of us, if not all of us, would, would take a pass, right? It's Shabbos, I can't, I'm sorry. What's stopping me from, from... It's a million dollars, a lot of money. I could do a lot of good with a I can't. Hashem doesn't want me to. What's stopping me, though? It's Shabbos. So I can't do it. Let's say a, a person... Now, a lot of people would find that as a big finish. Like, well, take a puff. Like, are you crazy? It's a million dollars, a million dollars. They go, they just take a puff. No, no, one's, you know, no one's looking. So the muscle is... Let's say you have a hedge of roses. You ever go to like a park or a garden or somebody's front yard and they have like, they have this beautiful manicured bush with roses on it. Now, theoretically, I could trample it, right? I could walk right on top of it. You know, I might not want to get thorns in my, in my shoe, but other, other than that, if not for the thorns, I would definitely, yeah, why not? Let's just walk on top of it. Instead of like walking around it to get through the front door, I'll just walk on it. I'll trample the hedge of roses. And there would be people that have no problem doing that. So who's going to be stopped by a hedge of roses from, from trampling it? Only somebody that really appreciates the beauty of a rose. If you have an appreciation for roses, if you're, this is too chash, I'm not walking on a hedge of roses, it's beautiful. So then I'm not going to. If I don't know, if I couldn't care less about roses, they don't do anything for me, I don't see any chash, anything chash about it, yeah, I'll, I'll walk on it, I don't care, what's the difference? Shabbos is hedged in by roses. What does that mean? What it means is, is that 
the, the, you're not going to trample. A Klai Yisrael is careful. Not, not all Yidin. There are many Yidin, we know millions of Yidin that aren't careful about being Mechal Shabbos. They smoke on Shabbos without getting a million dollars, or they just smoke. And they drive their cars, and they, some, most of them are Tinegesh Nishpur, they don't know better, but some of them do, and they're doing it anyway. Why? Because Shabbos to them is not something that they, that they think is so amazing that they can't trample it. Shabbos, I don't know, it's another Saturday. It's not, it's not Shabbos, Shabbos. It's Saturday. I could, so I, could, I could smoke today like I smoke on any other day of the week. It's not a big deal for me. What stops a Yid from, from, from doing something that's little Shabbos is that they have an appreciation for the beauty of Shabbos. They understand the Kedusha of Shabbos. They understand that even though I'm not physically prevented from desecrating Shabbos, I could do it. I could drive a car technically on Shabbos. I could, I could take a, smoke a cigarette on Shabbos, but I would never permit myself to violate its laws due to my innate love for Shabbos. People that develop a love for Shabbos, they can't do it. That's why it's so important. Parents, when Mitzvah Shem, you have families, you have to give over the beauty of Shabbos and the importance of Shabbos, the holiness of Shabbos to your children. Because if you don't, the children are going to say, you know, like, why shouldn't I be Mechal Shabbos? Like, I have a great job offer. I have to work seven days a week. It involves working on weekends. But, like, you know, the pay is great. The benefits are great. Why not? But only if you, if you show them the beauty of Shabbos, and then they would never want it. If they see it as roses and they know what a rose is, they won't trample Shabbos no matter what. But if, they, if you don't show them, if they don't really get, they just see you, you know, going to kiddush clubs, getting drunk, um, you know, reading uh, Wall Street journals the whole Shabbos, talking business, talking Lashonara. So Shabbos is not so chasher, it's not so holy. So the kids will have a much easier time just booking. And that's really, Ramesha Feinstein famously said, and it's, it's not like him to say it in a sense because it's, you know, he's so good always. So he is good. But he basically said that how did it happen that millions of people are not from in America? Like we're, we're used to living in little pockets of Kew Gardens Hills and, you know, Muncie and whatever, Chicago and Borough Park and whatever, and we th- Lakewood. And we think the whole world maybe is like that. But the truth is that if you go out to places like just a little bit outside. You know, if you go to uh, Bayside, Queens, not, not Kew Gardens, but Bayside, or you go to uh, certain parts of Long Island, Huntington, or whatever, you'll find many Jews, but there, there's, no, there's no Shmir Shabbos in Los Angeles and in, uh, in, in Dallas, Texas. Oh, I, have, I have relatives, you know, they're, they're not, for, they, they just basically book, they just abandon everything. Manhattan. Manhattan, tons, tons. Millions of Yidden. When did this happen? How did this happen? Their grandparents were from people. They came over, you know, Talis Island. They were, had beards and payas and tefillin and talis. How did it happen? Ramesh Feinstein says famously that the first generation that came to these shores, they lived in these tenements in, in the Lower East Side and Williamsburg, and they kept Shabbos. They were, they were Mason after Shabbos. And they, they, they got fired every Friday because they told their boss that they have to go home for Shabbos. Boom, out of a job. They have to look for new jobs come Monday morning. So when did it happen? The children of these people that were Mesa Nefesh, they, they booked. They, they said, we don't need it. Why? Because the parents were keeping Shabbos as Ramesha, but they were saying, 
the following toxic sentence that he said all the time in Meshach. As is schwer zu sein ayid. It's hard to be a Jew. This is what they would say every single day. You know, it would be so much easier not to be Jewish. I don't have to worry about Shabbos. I don't have to worry about uh, Yantif. I don't have to worry about Pesach and about... I just, you know, it's... But I'm being a Jew, but it's really hard. And the kids are listening to this, this attitude, this toxic attitude. So really, maybe they have to keep Shabbos. The, the, the old fuddy-duddies have to keep Shabbos because their parents kept Shabbos. So they want to... They feel guilty. They're traditional... But we're living in the land of roller skates, Coca-Cola, drive-in movies. Like, we don't need this. Like, let's just do our own thing. What do we need this for? If it's so hard, it's so impossible. So not for us. We want to live an easy life. And that's exactly what they did. They went, uh, you know, they, they left the fold and they started businesses and they went to college and they married, intermarried, or they married non-Jew, you know, non-Orthodox. And that's, this is what Ramesh's theory is, Ramesh says, that he, he was living then, he, you know, he, it's not like it's a theory, like I'm saying a theory, like he actually saw it firsthand, he was living in the Lower East Side since the 19, you know, 30s, but he, um, this is what, you know, he said that it's, we have to, and the lesson that we have to take from this is that the way we live our lifestyle, and the way we show our children about Yiddishkeit, if we're saying every day, ach, you know, these Esregim are so expensive, lemons, I'm paying a hundred bucks for a lemon, like, I'll just go to the supermarket and erase the sun kiss, and, you know, and, and I'll be good, like, what do we need this for? Matzah's $29 a pound, and I have to buy 40 pounds for all my relatives that are coming, it's ridiculous. And the kids just hear this, and they think, okay, he's not happy being a Jew. If he's not happy being a Jew, why do I ha- what do I need this for? Realistically, it's hard, but what's the other approach where so you that's answer right. and say no? It's the other perspective. Ramesha says, this is Ramesha says, you have to convey to your children that it's geschmack to be a yid. How would you understand it, that it's, it's, it's good, but what, how would you say it's not that, it's not hard? It's not, it's not, it's not, meaning meaning the, the, what I just said, those, the matzahs and the esraigim? Yeah. So you say, well, it's a schluss for me to be able to buy matzahs. It's schluss for me to buy esraigim, to, to be able to perform mitzvahs of Hashem. It's just... You know, it's just looking at it in a different way and, and appreciating things. Like we could look at, at Jews as being, you know, uh, you know, it's impossible, it's so expensive, tuition, uh, and, and it is. There's no two ways of that. It really is. It really, really is. Trust me, I know it is. But if I talk about that to my kids all day and I'm like harping on that and I'm, and I'm, and I'm failing by doing so to say anything nice about Yiddishkeit, to sing Zmira on Shabbos, say Advar say what a beautiful uh, drasha the Rav gave on Shabbos, and to, to really build up Yiddishkeit in my child's mind. If I'm not giving that to them, then don't be shocked if someday they just go TD, because like, what was holding them back? You were the one that was supposed to be holding them back, but you were like so busy you know, ranting about everything you know, bad about Yiddishkeit, and, and exposing all the scandalous parts of Yiddishkeit that, in your mind, was, was you know, is unforgivable. But instead of doing that, the people that are positive and convey that positivity about Yiddishkeit to their children, to their siblings, their parents, their f- family, to community, you know, those are the people that are able to continue the Messiah and really, oh my gosh, sorry, and really, uh, and really give uh, and, and, and raise a beautiful community in Mishpacha. Uh, around you.